Our psalm this morning is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Our epistle lesson this morning is found in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that you are a God who cures our anxiety. Thank you for this, your word, this light which gives salvation, which provides truth. Would you open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in it? Wonderful things which would cure and strengthen us in the midst of our trouble and anxiety. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. When I was in high school, I came to what I thought was the most important decision of my life, where to go to college. Now, there were a lot of, uh, of options that I was thinking about. I could go to a big state school like the University of Georgia, and I could be one of 35,000 students, just be a number, a speck on the campus, 
Or I could go to a Division II or Division Three school and try to play football. I was a football player in high school, and I, I might be able to do that, maybe walk on, get a scholarship. Or I could go to a smaller school, maybe a liberal arts college, where I could uh, get to know my professors a little better. But in the midst of this decision, in the midst of decisions like these, there are a lot of people who love to give you advice whether you ask or not. And the, the comment that was, uh, was given to me in different variations was this. John, don't worry. The Lord will take you where he wants you to go. The Lord will take you where he wants you to go. Don't worry. And, and while I have a great theology of God's sovereignty, I believe that God does these things. He's in total control of our lives. Sayings like that seemed so empty. They kept saying these things over and over and over. And in the midst of the looming doom of my college decision, that saying seemed so empty. And the, these troubling moments of anxiety are what we all have to deal with during the course of our lives. Big decisions, difficult relationships. There are constant anxieties. And what we learn over the course of our life and from the truths of Scripture is that anxiety builds when trouble abounds. In other words, when life's troubles weigh heavy on our souls, we are tempted to look at the future with anxious pessimism. When our kids are misbehaving and we're at the end of our rope, what's our temptation? It's to question God. It's to question His covenant that He is faithful to His people and to His children's children. Or we just want to leave. We just want to get out. Because we, can't, we have no control. There are times when we are falsely accused at work and what is our response? Well, it's either to lash back and forget the God who says vengeance is mine or we hide in our anxiety into, into our shell like turtles. Or maybe you're like me and you're the kind of person that runs every conversation you might have through your head. Your anxiety forces you to do that. You are about to have, or you're about to go into a meeting at work, or you're about to have a difficult discussion with your spouse, and you run through every possible conversation. Your anxiety forces you to do that because you can't be surprised. But with more and more trouble, friends, it seems like anxiety only gets worse. And all of our responses are about relieving that anxiety. It's all about relieving the fear and the anxiety. And the Psalms are profoundly honest. Profoundly honest about what it means to live in a, in a fallen world. Profoundly honest about the, the realities of living in a world gone wrong. And Psalm 27 is that. It's a psalm that addresses our anxiety. Look at the way David speaks of his enemies. He says in verse 2, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. He says in verse 3, Though an army encamp against me, the war arise against me. David is deeply honest about the anxious situations in his own life. He doesn't cover over them. He doesn't hide in his shell. He's honest that there are real situations 
that, that bring up anxiety and fear in our lives. But they don't leave us to wallow. The Psalms here in Psalm 23, David doesn't leave us to wallow in our fear and anxiety. He speaks a contradictory word. And that's what the Psalms do. They speak to, an, to anxious hearts and speak a contradictory word. And it tells us in Psalm 20, and David tells us in Psalm 27 that we address these anxieties with faith. That faith conquers anxiety. But in a world that feeds our fear and anxiety, where depression and anxiety medication is overprescribed in droves, how do we nurture a faith that withstands anxiety? And I don't say that to minimize the need for medication. There are certainly uh, times when, when, and seasons of life when antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication is deeply necessary to get through. But it ought not to be the only thing we lean on when life hits us in the middle of the forehead. And so Psalm 27 begs the question, how do we nurture a faith that can shield us against the arrows of anxiety and fear? And we see first that we need to encounter God in worship. Look with me at verses 4 to 6. When David is punched in the face with his so with these situations, with evildoers who want to eat up his flesh, with war rising against him, what is the thing that he does? He says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's in this encounter with the living God where David's faith is strengthened and nourished. It's also where he's protected from evil. Listen to what he says in verse 5. For, he will, for God will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. David seeks the Lord in his temple because he knows that's where God does a special work to strengthen his faith, to hide him in the shelter in his day of trouble, to conceal him under the cover of God's tent, and to lift his head high upon a rock. Friends, there is a special and mysterious thing that God does in corporate worship to strengthen and nourish our faith. There's a special thing that God does here and it's not just in the sermon. It's in the whole of corporate worship together. There's a special thing that God does here to nourish us, to strengthen our faith, that we may fight anxiety in the midst of those seasons of life. And it's not a blind encounter with God. No, God is, the, is our light and our salvation. He is our stronghold, the, the stronghold of our lives. It's not blind. We don't come here and kind of wander through the worship service hoping that we might encounter God. No, look at what we go through. We go through the gospel. We are constantly creating this rhythm of every week rehearsing the gospel in our lives and, and doing what a, an old pastor of mine 
called wearing grooves of grace in our life. Through this constant rhythm of going to God in worship, we are wearing grooves of grace into our souls. So what are we doing? We're rehearsing the gospel. God calls us into his presence and and we respond to him with a song of praise. When we see God when he in, in all of his glory, what do we do? We can't help but realize that we are sinners. And so we confess our sin together. And then you hear an assurance of God's pardon because he's a God who forgives sins. And when we're made part of that family, what do we do? We sing to him. We make melody with our hearts together. And when we're made part of that family, we greet one another in peace. And we also confess a faith that has come to us throughout the centuries of the church. And then we hear instruction from God's word, from the Psalms, from the epistles. And after we have received instruction, what do we do? We respond to God because it's proper to respond to him in song. And we ask things of him, prayers of supplication. And then we offer our whole lives to him in the offering. And then what do we do? We receive God's blessing and we walk out and be a blessing from God to the people on this, on, in Jacksonville and around this world. And sometimes, uh, if you're paying attention, you will hear Chuck and I say something during the Lord's Supper uh, that, that tries to capture this. And neither he nor I can take, a, can take credit for it because we uh, stole it from the uh, Book of Common Prayer and we use it. Uh, and Chuck was the one who challenged me to memorize it and use it. And it says this, as we are giving you the body, the, the bread, you will hear us say this, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you to preserve you, body and soul unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Friends, we're not saying that the bread is becoming the body of Christ but we're saying that there is a mysterious and spiritual presence of Jesus in this place and in the supper where he is present. And when we feed on him by faith, he strengthens us, nourishes us, he preserves us unto everlasting life. It is in the supper, it's in corporate worship where our souls are strengthened to face the fear and anxiety that a broken and fallen world throws at us. And it's not only that. David doesn't stop there. He moves on. He says in verses 7 through 12 that we need to boldly ask God for help. We boldly ask God for help. Look with me at the words that David uses. It's almost as if he is demanding these things from God. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. David is asking God to simply be kind enough to open his ears that he might hear David's plea. He says, hide not your face from me. In verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. It's a request made out of desperation. He's asking God to be present with him in the midst of his troubles. 
At the end of verse 9, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. He's boldly demanding that God not turn him away when he seeks his presence. He says, teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. David is asking for God to guide him, to be his light through the midst of trouble, that he may not be one who is stumbling through the darkness in the midst of his anxiety, but that God would provide light for his anxious heart. And friends, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is a theology of God that has been translated into communion with God. You see, we Presbyterians, we have really great theology. We, uh, we can tell you the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism and which one is better and right. And of course, we would say we are right. We know that God chose us first, not that we chose him. We can tell you that the scriptures are the inerrant, infallible word of God. We know that God deals with his people in covenants, that we live in the new covenant inaugurated by Jesus, and that there is one overarching covenant of grace that we live under where God deals with his people. But does that great theology translate into communion? Are we bold enough to demand that God act in accordance with his character? And do we really believe that God's character is such that he acts on behalf of his people? Do we believe that enough to ask him to demand what he has promised? Or do we just know it in theory? Do we simply know about the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that, God was, that Christ acted as a substitute for sinners? Or do you know that you were one of those sinners that Jesus died for? Do you know theoretically that God chose you before the foundations of the earth? Or does that truth make your heart melt out of gratitude and love for God? Do you know theoretically that Jesus will come back one day and will make all things new? Or is your prayer, Jesus, come quickly? There is a difference between theology about God and communion with Him. There are uh, some books that I have read that, uh, that are the most powerful books to me. And they're not books that tell me things. They're books that show me things. And one of those such books is a book that Chuck recommended and has mentioned here before, Hillbilly Elegy. It drew me into this story. And it didn't tell me things about a society. It showed me things about a society, a broken world. And it actually answered a lot of questions for me about the society that I grew up in. It was so powerful, not because it told me things. It was so powerful because it showed me things. And that's the difference, friends. 
Are you just being told things about God? Do you just believe things about God, or is that translating into communion with him? Friends, we boldly ask God for help when we have made a practice of encountering him in corporate worship. We are able to commune with him, to boldly ask him for things because we have made it a practice to wear those grooves of grace into our souls. And lastly, in the midst of this unique encounter with God and boldly asking him for help, Psalm 27 tells us we must wait on the Lord. Look with me at verses 13 through 14. David says, in the midst of this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He looks to the future and says that he believes he will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And if you know anything about the life of David, you know it did not all always go well. You know that after his uh, adultery with Bathsheba and uh, his subsequent murder of her husband, all did not go well. His life was filled with turmoil and trouble, these possible anxious situations. One of his daughters is violated by one of his sons, and then another son actually kills that son. And then that son who killed the son actually tries to take David's throne and then dies. And David has to mourn sons, a plethora of deaths. There was rebellion, and there was war. And David ends his life in what seems to be a swirl of anxious situations. And he looks at the future and says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There are a lot of times when God acts in the here and now. But sometimes we have to wait. There are some things that will not be done away with until Jesus comes again. And David looks to the future. He orients himself to the future with faith. It's a forward-looking, optimistic faith that, believe God, that believes God acts on behalf of his, his people. That one day, whether it's made right in this world, it will be made right when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. It's a forward-looking faith, optimistic, that knowing that God wins in the end. And so, friends, can our faith hold the tension of waiting on God? Can we live in the here and now and look ahead to that day, that last day, with confidence that Jesus will come and he will make all things new? Can we look ahead and be confident that all tears from our face will be wiped away? Will we be strong and take courage? Like David says, let your hearts take courage and wait for the Lord. Can our lives hold that tension 
of living in a world gone wrong and waiting on God to make all things new. I'll close with this. Uh, I just got a book on Friday called An Anxious Age. Now, I can't tell you if it's good or not because uh, I haven't read it uh, long enough, but I can tell you I really like the preface. Uh, it was recommended to me by a professor in seminary, and I'm just now getting to it uh, because, you know, there were some things going on like ordination. Uh, no big deal. Uh, but he says something simple, yet profound and deeply honest. Uh, he says this, We live in a spiritual age when the political has been transformed into the soteriological when how we vote is how our souls are saved. And we wonder why anxiety and depression medication is overprescribed in droves. When the comfort of our soul ebbs and flows with a man in the Oval Office, or insert whatever uh, anxious situation y- you prefer, when the comfort of our soul ebbs and flows with how our kids are behaving, when the comfort of our souls ebbs and flows with whether our spouse is speaking to us or not, when the comfort of our souls ebbs and flows with the paycheck, no wonder we are such an anxious society because we have lost encounter with God. Can your faith hold the tension between living in a world gone wrong and knowing in your heart of hearts that God is in the process of making it all right again? That kind of faith, a faith in tension, can withstand the arrows of anxiety and fear. And it's that kind of faith that God wants to work in us in corporate worship, when we come to him together and in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for psalms like Psalm 27 that answer our anxiety. Lord, we confess that we believe, but help our unbelief. We come to you with anxious hearts and need you to relieve our anxiety. Would you do so? Would you be a God who we encounter on a weekly basis? And would you wear grooves of grace into our souls that we may withstand whatever the world and Satan and sin throw at us? We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.